Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Student loan debt in 2020 hit a record, and it is now, okay, are you ready for this, $1.56 trillion in growing in the United States. If you have student loan debt, I bet you would do just about anything to get it paid off. I have been there myself, so I'm imagining you're probably feeling the same thing. 
You might also feel a great deal of anxiety, maybe even depression or anger toward your student loans. And no matter how much you owe, you're probably wondering how to pay off your loans fast. Robert Farrington, the creator of the brilliant website, The College Investor, is here to share what you need to know about your student loans in 2020 and beyond. I will say, based on when we're recording this, is that September is a big month in the student loan world. September of 2020, you know, the as of today, when we're recording this, they're not going to extend any student loan benefits. So you need to figure out if you can afford your monthly payment or if you need to change your repayment plan. So you're gonna have like a month or two in here to to figure it out, to understand where you stand, organize your loans, see what you can afford. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're on unemployment right now. Well, that's okay. Apply for income-driven repayment because they will take your income that you're making right now, which if it's zero, it's zero. Put that on the form and your legal monthly payment would be zero on your loans and you're not going to worry about falling into default. You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Compton-Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. So I met Robert a few years ago at a money conference, and I've just really admired what he has built. He is certainly the go-to voice for all things student loans. And I collected all of your student loan questions that you've sent me over the last couple of months to really get the down low on how to deal with your debt, whether deferment is right for you, how to deal with your student loans in 2020, should you consolidate or refinance your student loans, and the ever-popular question Should I invest while I'm also paying off my student loans? This is an episode to bookmark, share with your friends, and come back when you just need a little student loan pep talk. Robert, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. As I said before we started recording, I have been onslaughted with questions about student loans. So I thought, like, who do do I go to with my student loans questions? And you are that person. So thank you for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to dive into this. Yeah, I mean, it's probably um, an understatement to say that people are are stressed out right now about their money. And student loans, I think, was already a stressor for so many people who were staring down big loan balances. And now they're trying to figure out, like, what should I do, especially those who have lost jobs or those who are self-employed or entrepreneurs. So I thought just the best place to start you know, right now we're recording this episode end of July, but what are some of the options for people 
as far as like lowering their student loans or deferring their student loans, like what sort of options are out there or what should they, what should they do? Who should they call? Yeah. So like, let's step back first. I think the the first thing that you need to do with your student loans is simply get organized. And uh, I know it's probably not the answer that you're looking for at first, but I'll tell you that there are over 150 different options, combinations of options and things wow. to do with your student loans. And so if we aren't even organized on what kind of loans you have, how many you have, because let's be frank, most people with student loans have three, four, five, seven, ten. Like you can get a lot of different loans. And so if you don't know what you have, we can't have conversations about what to do next. So I would urge everyone first to spend a few minutes and, and whatever your style is, whether it's an app or pen and paper or an Excel spreadsheet, like list out all your loans, what kind of loans they are. Are they federal? But what kind of federal loan are they? Are they direct? Are they Perkins? Are they FFEL? Or are they private loans that you know don't operate the same way? And once you have that down, we can kind of pick a course of action for each type of loan. So all of that information you can figure out where, like on your on your statement, is that where you'll find most of that information? Yeah. So the cool thing is, is if you have federal loans, there is a great website called studentaid.gov. It's the federal website. So if you don't know who your loan servicer is, if you don't know any of that stuff, you can go to studentaid.gov. You log in and it'll list all of your federal student loans. Now, this doesn't do your private ones, but it'll at least knock out all of your federal ones. And you also might already have a loan servicer contact, like you might know where your loans are at. But if you don't, that's a great starting point. And I like to call it like that is like the official record of your loans. Um, it's what the government has on file. So even if you're not sure about your loan servicers or other things, like that's where to start. If you have private loans, the best way to find them is to check your credit report. Um, I go to annualcreditreport.com. You can pull your credit report for free and you will see any private loans that you owe listed there. And that's, of course, if you don't know where to find your loans. Okay, that makes sense. That is like great advice. So I think a lot of people have been hearing the words deferment. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with student loans going forward. But tell me a little bit, like, what does it mean when you defer your student loan? Like, what are the pluses? What are the minuses of that? Yeah, so a deferment is where you don't have to make payments on your loans for a set period of time. And depending on your loan type, you might not have to earn, you might not accrue interest on your loan while you're in deferment. But most of the time, you do accrue interest. You just, you get a free pass on making the payments. And so in general, deferments aren't aren't usually the best option. I will say we're recording this in July, so we're in the middle of the pandemic and the CARES Act. The CARES Act gave everyone a deferment with no interest and no payments until September 30th. That's a special exception. That's never happened before in the history right. of student loans. So put that deferment to the side. In general, a deferment's not the best approach, usually. Um, but this CARES Act deferment, it's a solid deal. Um, but realize as of now, it's your loans are going to probably turn back on again here come October 1st. Right. But I think you make a like a really good distinction with the CARES Act that that this deferment right now, because this is something that's never happened before. And because of the special uh, conditions around it, if you have to take this deferment now that currently goes till, till October, it's not so much a negative, Mark, as if you were just 
ordinarily doing a deferment. Right. And so there's a lot of kinds of deferments, too. Uh, you know, when you're in school is the most common kind of deferment. When you're in school, right. <laughs> you're not paying your loans, right? And they give you a grace period of six months after you graduate before your loans turn on and you have to make payments. But realize, um, for most loans, you're accruing interest on those loans, even when you're in school. So that freshman year loan is suddenly a lot bigger <laughs> by the time you graduate <laughs> because you hadn't made any payments on it. Yeah, you bring up such a good point. And I feel like you really don't understand the full impact of your student loans until even like maybe a few years out of college when the debt suddenly feels massive or you're forced to look at your balance like straight in the eye. And and for a lot of people, that's the moment it becomes really scary. And I know you have so many great tips. I mean, we could probably talk for hours about this, but what are some of your favorite tips to to start paying rapidly off your student loans? I mean, is there anything that we could do even now in this time that might help supercharge that debt payoff? Yeah, well, let's talk two things. First off, what do you do first? And that is pick the repayment plan that works for you. So when you're done and you get that first bill like six months after you graduate, you have to realize that is your highest monthly payment amount. Wow, and so yeah. if you're getting a little sticker shock after you graduate, don't panic because there are other options out there for your student loan repayment programs. Um, some of my favorite are the income-driven repayment plans. And these are plans that base your monthly repayment on how much you make. And if you don't make a lot of money, your repayment could be legally $0 per month, which is awesome. And that's why you shouldn't necessarily defer your loans if you can't afford them. You mm. might be better off on an income-driven repayment program because then you're also at least making progress on your loans towards the futures. And there's a lot of options if you're making progress. You can get loan forgiveness. Um, you know, your loans don't go into default because student loan default is the worst thing that you can do financially. It's, I mean, it is probably the worst financial thing that can happen to you. Um, and so make payments you can afford. And that's where you start. So if you're somebody who is like an entrepreneur, self-employed, where maybe your income is irregular and all over the place, is it is it good to see if you can get on an income-based plan? Yes. And especially if you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner, because your income-driven repayment is based on your AGI, your adjusted gross income. And I'm sure you covered this before, but yes. as a small business owner, you have so many tools and levers you can pull to adjust your AGI by paying yourself. Maybe you do a solo 401k or you know contribute to your IRA or health savings account. Um, and by lowering your AGI, you also lower your student loan payment. And so instead of that money going to the government, like you get to keep some of that for yourself and, and you get a win-win situation there. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan of that. <laughs> right? <laughs> As an entrepreneur, I, I, I support that message. So I'm sure there's someone probably thinking about like, okay, let's say I'm in that scenario and I get my student loan payment reduced to a really small amount, but does that mean then I'm going to be paying then for the rest of my life? Like, how does that work then? 
Potentially, but not really, because uh, your income-driven repayment is capped at 20 or 25 years. And at the end of that term, your student loan is forgiven. However, asterisks there, that loan amount that's forgiven could be taxable. Um, but on the flip side, depending on how much your tax bracket is, that could be a lower amount than what you would have paid. So there's a lot of math and planning involved there, and it's not the easiest thing. So I don't recommend you kick the can down the road as long as you possibly can, because it might not make sense, especially if you're able to pay off the loans faster. Um, if you can pay them off, you should always pay them off. And don't wish for forgiveness. Don't plan for taxability down the road. Like, uh, but it's an option and it's there. So it, more frequently, it's if someone, you know, life just didn't pan out like you thought it would. You never ended up in a profession or a career or something happened and sidetracked you. And, you know, your income level never got to a good point. Well, also realize at the end of the road, there's that forgiveness. And once again, it might not be taxable. If you don't have a lot of money and assets, it won't be taxable because you'll be technically insolvent. That's some tax mm, stuff there. Mm. But on the flip side, don't fret about the tax bomb if income driven repayment is working for you because your income isn't there to support your loan payments. That's really good advice. And I know you cover this a lot in a lot of different articles on your site, The College Investor, but how do you know? I mean, is there a way to figure out which payment plan is best for you? I mean, I know you can call your loan servicer and they can run over a bunch of different plans, but how do you truly know which one you should actually pick? Well, the easiest way is the one that you can afford without missing any payments. That's the baseline, okay. <laughs> right? Because like I said, student loan default, the worst thing that can ever happen to you financially. Um, but if you can afford the payments every month, that's where you start. So pick that one. Then if you get a promotion or a new job and you're feeling a little better with your holistic financial situation, we can reassess. And that's the cool thing with, you know, everything in our finances is you're not necessarily locked in. I recommend you make a plan and try to stick to that plan, but reassess that plan every year because like, I think all of us can relate, like just rewind the clock five years. Like we were all in so many different situations in our lives and yes. our money and everything. And the same thing is going to happen five years into the future. So Pick the plan you can afford today to not miss any payments. And then as your life changes, just check in once a year and see if that's still the best repayment plan for you to afford it. Or if maybe you're making more, you can throw some extra principal payments to it. Or maybe you're on a path to loan forgiveness and you can choose employment or stay with an employer that could offer you some type of loan forgiveness or repayment assistance or things like that. That feels really good because what you're talking about is there's flexibility. Like you don't have to pick one thing when you graduate college and stick with that the whole way through. There are lots of different ways you can you can change things up, change things up depending on your career, depending on your income. And I, I think that feels really good. I'm curious, what should we know about the other two big topics like consolidation and refinancing student loans? Is there any guidance or advice you could give on a, either one of those? Yeah. So first off, if you have federal student loans, uh, you probably shouldn't refinance your loan. So let's break it up. Um, consolidation is where you combine all of your federal student loans into a new loan. And that is a free 
note-free government program. <laughs> and what that does, though, is it gives you a new single loan that replaces, I don't know, however many loans you had. Maybe you had five, four or five loans from each year of college. And now you have one new consolidation loan. Uh, when you refinance, you're taking all of your loans or some of your loans. You don't have to take all of them, but most people take all of them. And they consolidate or refinance them into a private loan. So it's important to know consolidation is a federal program and refinancing is a private loan program. And mm. so when you refinance, and this is why I don't think most people with federal loans should, is when you refinance, you now have a private loan that doesn't have all these benefits we were just talking about, doesn't have income-driven repayment plans. They don't offer any type of loan forgiveness. And like right now, when we're talking about the CARES Act and that deferment with zero payment, zero interest, well, that didn't apply to any private loan. So if you had refinanced, you wouldn't have been eligible for that. So you'd be paying your loans right now. So refinancing serves a purpose for maybe 5% of federal borrowers. Um, and those are people that are going to probably pay off their loans in a year or two or maybe three and aren't qualifying for any type of loan forgiveness. Yeah, go ahead and refinance. And if you have private loans, well, shoot, you don't qualify for any of these programs anyway. So <laughs> if you can get a better interest rate and save some money, once again, go ahead and refinance. But for most people with federal loans, it's probably not a good idea to refinance your loans. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. 
And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. It's Tuesday and we've got an Ask Shauna. This one comes from Roberta. And Roberta says, Hi, Shauna. I'm a diehard fan of the show. And I recommend it to anyone that will listen to me without apologies. You've helped me so much and you don't even know it. Well, I guess you do now. (laughs) You always ask every guest if they could leave us with one tip or suggestion. So I'd love to know what is your one tip or suggestion that we should do about money. Thanks for letting me hang out with you and learn all of these great money tips. And I can't wait to hear your one tip or suggestion. Roberta, I love this question because I think about it every time when I ask a guest this, like, what would I tell you? So I took some time to really think about this. If I had to really boil it down, and this really isn't just one tip, I guess, maybe it's a little bit hard for me to give you just one tip, but many people in and out of the financial system, I believe, want you to believe two things. One, that making money decisions is hard and you can't possibly do it on your own, which is complete BS. Number two, that you can be profited from over and over and over again. So think about predatory loans. Think about not knowing how to pay off your student loans or to pay down credit card debt or that you can actually negotiate your credit card interest rate. All of these things, right? Companies profit from this. And Yes, we need loans and yes, we need credit cards. And if we know how to use them correctly, we can really beat these systems at their own game. But I really believe these statements to be true. So what can you do? One, you can understand that money success comes from this equation. Money is both math plus mental decisions. And you can read blogs and listen to podcasts and hire people to help you do the math side of things. The mental side is the only piece that you control. 
So yes, you need the math too, right? Like you need to make some good money decisions, but the mental side will help you get there much faster than sometimes the math will, which sounds crazy if you're listening to me and you're like, Shauna, you're crazy right now. No, I promise you. I believe this. I know this to be true. And I've seen this in action over the last 15 years. And I have read countless, countless books about the power of your mind when it comes to money. So what can you do? Well, you can be in your money each day, each week, each month. You can have a plan, even if it's a shaky one, with how you're going to spend and save your money. There is where the real power comes. And anyone who is wealthy will tell you the same thing. It's about how am I going to spend my money and how am I going to save my money? For example, let's say you think you're never going to get out of debt. You might be right. If, if you really think that, you might be right. But what if you instead say, hey, I'm in debt. Okay, the debt bought me X, Y, and Z. But now I'm going to look at the math and create a plan to slow and steadily get out of debt. And I'm going to understand my debt triggers and work in my mind to control the mental side of money. So I'm going to find an extra $25, $50, $100 a month and put that towards my debt payoff and make progress each month, even if it feels slow. But I'm also going to encourage myself to see this as progress, right? It's the math plus the mental side. And I know that was a super long question, but hopefully, Roberta, you can see what I'm saying. Stop telling yourself that you have to make a ton more money or you have to wish to be someone else better than you who's in a better money situation that you can you can see on the outside and they might not be in a better money situation. Honestly, we don't know what's going in, going on underneath the hood, right? So we can't really make that judgment. But understand that money success is the math plus the mental. And the mental piece is the largest slice of the pie. So many listeners are are stressed out about student loans. And really, I know that student loans are stressful. I've been in student loan, massive student loan debt myself. And it wasn't really until I understood that my mind was actually stopping me from making progress with my student loans. Now, it doesn't create more money, right? There's not like this rainbow that is going to drop out of the sky magically. But when you understand that you might be talking yourself out of making progress over and over and over again, or you might be telling yourself that you're consistently going to be in debt, you're never going to pay off this debt. And you can plug in anything in there, right? We, we tell ourselves money lies over and over and over again all day long. We really talk very bad to ourselves. But when you start to shift that even just a little bit, I promise that you're going to start making some progress. So Roberta, <laughs> long answer, but just I want you to understand, stop thinking about money, just about the math and about the how to start thinking about the mental side as well. How are you going to actually do the how to's? Because I believe, and I know in my veins, in my heart, that that is really where change starts to happen.
That That's really good advice. Like, I'm so glad you broke it down like that, because I think student loan refinancing has become really sexy. And we hear about it a lot. And so you sort of feel like, well, I should probably be doing this, right? Well, sure. It's like when, you know, when banks have money to advertise, like that's what you hear all the time, right? And so like, where do you think that money's coming from that you're hearing about these lenders? It's coming out of your pocket. Ding, ding. <laughs> right? So so that's why, and here's the thing, is why don't you ever hear about loan consolidation? Uh, because the Department of Education doesn't advertise anything, right? So like, unless you know that that's a free government program, you don't necessarily know that it's there. On the flip side, though, I would also say most people don't need to consolidate their loans. Uh, it's a convenience factor. If you might, maybe you have a loan at Navient and a loan at Fed Loan, and it's just annoying to manage two monthly statements. Loan consolidation really just puts it on one statement for you. But there's drawbacks because you get a new loan. If you were on track for maybe loan forgiveness for five years, so there's there's programs out there, and we can touch on these in a little bit, but you know, if you're on track for loan forgiveness and then you consolidate, you hit the reset button because now mm, you have a right. new loan. And so I honestly don't even think loan consolidation is that helpful for most people. Um, there's a few use cases, but they're pretty rare. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, when I graduated with my MBA, I had obviously student loan debt and I consolidated without really thinking. I mean, this was before I was really in the financial industry and I didn't know better. And it was like, oh, this is just what you do is you just consolidate your loans. So I think it's really helpful to be able to like explain to people that that might not be the best option for you. Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. No, I was going to say exactly. It just might not. There's some rare use cases, but for most people, you don't really need to. And I, I, I've gotten a lot of questions about loan servicing companies. I know a lot of people have some very strong feelings, like particularly with Navient, um, who I, I don't know, are they the largest student loan servicing company? Yeah, Navient, FedLoan, and Nelnet are like the three big players, Great Lakes and Mohella are like tier number two, okay. but they're close at their heels. There's a lot of loan servicers out there. And to be frank, um, you know, they're right. Like these servicers do have problems, but I also, you know, as much as I like to rag on the servicers, cause man, they do <laughs> screw up. Like let's not, let's be frank. They do. On the flip side, I think a lot of people also need to have a little bit of accountability for themselves because when you call into a loan servicer, you're calling into a huge call center. You know, these call center reps are making $15 an hour and they're not your financial advisor. They are just trying to answer your question. And there's two sides to this. Number one is, are you asking the question in the right way that they can actually help you? Because they don't know your history and anything else. They just, they see your balance on the screen and might see your loans, but they don't really know you and what you're going through. And part two is, once again, they're, they're just trying to do their jobs and they don't have any real interest in anything else besides getting their paycheck. So right. if you ask them like, hey, I can't afford my monthly student loan payment. Well, if they're look, they don't know. Like, do you? Does that mean you want to defer it? Does that mean you're looking to change your repayment plan? Does that mean you're looking for a forbearance? Like, what does that mean? And and so, when they give you an option and you take it, well, it might not have been the best. It might not have been wrong though either. 
right? Mm, yeah. And so that's the hard part is that I do, I, they do things wrong. I, I don't want to dismiss it. They've been sued and all kinds of stuff. And I would even maybe argue that the Department of Education, um, remember these loan servicers work on behalf of the U.S. government. Like maybe the contracts could be aligned better and the incentives can be aligned better. But, you know, there's a myth that these loan servicers make money off of, you know, steering people in the wrong direction. And that's just factually not true. I think it's important to note that these servicers basically make a dollar a loan a month for every loan they service, whether or not you're in a repayment plan or deferment, like that's it. Like they're just getting a dollar a month alone. Like, boom. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of how it breaks down. There's some nuances and things like that. And things, if you go into collections, like they get paid different, but it's about a dollar a month alone. Um, so they don't have any like incentive to steer you in the wrong direction, but they also aren't your financial advisor and they might not steer you in the right direction because they don't know everything, right? That brings up a very good question. So how do you then as the consumer know even what to ask? And that's it. So it goes back to being organized, knowing what you have, and then you know spend 10 minutes researching it understanding what your options are. Like you can go to studentaid.gov. You can go to websites like mine. You can listen to podcasts like this. Like the information is freely available. The, The one thing that you can say that our government does well is that everything is written in stone online. And so you can literally go and read exactly what programs, services, laws, rules, everything apply to you. Might not be the easiest to understand, but for most people with a few loans and a pretty normal situation, in about 20 minutes, 30 minutes of research, you could totally understand all your options. There's tools, there's services, there's websites, there's, there's all kinds of stuff out there. And that's kind of what I mean for like the responsibility part. Like you got to own what you have going on with your loans as well as your savings and investments and everything else. Uh, Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And you have created like this amazing resource. If somebody listening has not been to your site, The College Investor, I mean, you just have so many resources there. I'm I'm really curious about, about your own money story. Were you always like really interested in investing money, student loans? Like how did you how did you get so knowledgeable about all these topics? Yeah, I definitely wasn't interested in student loans, <laughs> but I always was interested in money and I was I was actually a big side hustler and I liked to invest. So like I was the kid that was selling stuff out of my backpack and I was selling stuff on eBay in high school nice. and I did that through college. And then I liked to take that extra money and invest it. And so I started the college investor as it sounds like I wanted to talk to people about how to get started investing and building wealth early. But then two things happened. One, a lot of people were like, those are great, Robert, but honestly, I have all the student loan debt. And then number two, I had my own problems with my loan servicer. And this is where it's like, you can't dismiss the problems <laughs> with these loan servicers. Um, FedLoan was my loan servicer and they messed up my direct debit. So I had, I had my loan set up to auto pay with direct debit and then they weren't applying the payments right. Oh, and then they tried to say I was delinquent on one of my loans and like, it was a mess. And so I wrote this whole saga of my customer service battle with them, right? And that was one of my first articles that went viral. And all these people were like, me too. Like they mess up all my stuff. And that's when I had like this epiphany that it's like, all right, we need to tackle this student loan thing 
so that people can start investing and building wealth earlier. And over the last 10 years, I've just really dove in feet first and understanding all these nuances with student loans and how it works and what the options are and trying to help people navigate it. So that brings up another question. And I hear this a lot. If, if I have student loan debt, should I also be investing? Like what, what are your two cents on that? 100% yes. So the game of investing is a game of time and you can't get time back. It's literally the only thing that we're all losing every single day and it's ticking away on us. So I would strongly encourage you to invest, but don't do it at the expense. Like you have to make those minimum payments on your loans and then if you can invest, but there's also a lot of ways to invest. And I, I like using like free money, for example, this is what I yeah. call it. But, you know, things like your 401k, most employers will give you a matching contribution. So it's like, don't leave that free money on the table, you know, contribute to your 401k so that you get your employer match and let that be invested for you. Or if you get like an HSA, an HSA is even more free money for a lot of people, a lot of big employers now do uh, HSA contributions on your behalf. And usually it's something simple, like you have to go like take a, get your physical every year and they'll give you like $1,000 into your HSA, which you can actually invest and you don't need to use it for healthcare unless you have to. Um, so take advantage of free money. And then if you can, of course, try to invest some more. But like if you start in your 20s investing, it is so much easier to achieve your financial goals in your 50s than if you're waiting until your 30s or your 40s. That's a great point. I often say for me, it's like the advice I give is, is a balancing act. It's it's growing your wealth in one direction positively while you're also paying down your student loan debt so that at the end, you know, you will have paid off your student loan debt, but you will have grown also wealth in this hopefully like upward moving direction so that, you know, you really have taken advantage of time in, in a smart way. Of course, this is different for everyone. This is why they call it personal finance, because it really is personal. Some people just can't stand their student loan debt. Like it's just it's a mental health issue. And so you got to get rid of your student loan debt, but you really make a great point. Like you can't get back that time. So, you know, you might as well just start with, with what you can just to get you moving in that direction. Yep. And I think it's important to realize like, you know, it's hard when you're in the moment, yeah. right? But the average time it takes to pay off student loans, like here's a crazy statistic. If you only have undergraduate student loans, it's about 17.9 years, so 18 years, right? If you look at all student loans in the whole general population, um, it's 21 years, wow. okay? That, that's painful, right? But the loan forgiveness that we were talking about is at 20 years for income-based repayment. So if you can't really throw a bunch of extra towards your loans, throw a bunch of extra towards your 401k because it'll lower your AGI and it'll milk you out to that 20 year mark and you're on the average for paying off your debt, <laughs> but you also saved your 401k and have that nest egg that has hopefully grown for you over 20 years to show for it. I like that. I like that a lot. That's like a great visual too. Uh, and, and those numbers, those payoff periods, I mean, it's, it's, it is shocking that those are the averages. That's the, and you know, you can beat the average, but like, you know, on the flip side, like that is the average. And, you know, right. I'd rather have you a, a nice $200,000 401k, you know, in 20 years exactly. than not. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. I would I would much rather that too. I often tell people like would I walk past money if it was laying on the ground? I mean, if it's somebody else's then of course, yes I would. But but in theory, like you bring up this good point about just being smart with your money, like making these very tactical money moves and and propelling yourself forward. So at the end of that 20 years, like, yeah, you've set yourself up pretty well. It's not going to solve all of your retirement issues, but you were like well on the way, which is such a great place to start at versus like, okay, now I'm 20 years after paying my student loans and now I got now I got some serious makeup time for, for starting to invest. Exactly. Another thing I saw on your on your site I wanted to just talk about was you'd written an article about student loan scams. And I know that there are a lot of them out there, but I was wondering if you could just talk about like how could you avoid being scammed and maybe like what are some of the top scams you've seen? Yeah, I mean student loan scams like irk me to no end because <laughs> like they are never ending and it's like whack-a-mole. Like I see these headlines or it's like the FTC shuts down like six companies and then it's like <laughs> the six months later they've just like renamed themselves <laughs> to like, you know, and it's just like, oh so the basis with student loan scams is that people are preying on you when you're the most vulnerable, right? And I don't know if you've gotten them, but I get them all the time where it's these yes. robo calls where it's yes. like, you know, or you get these letters in the mail. And I'll be frank with you. There's, there's a difference between a scam and there's a difference between paying for something you don't need. So scams are like companies that you pay and they do nothing for you and run away with your money. What happens a lot in the student loan space, though, is more of the paying for something you don't need aspect. Um, so like we talked about, you can, you know, we talked about loan consolidation. We talked about applying for income-driven repayment. Well, you can do these programs yourself for free. You can call your loan servicer. You could do it on your loan servicer's website. You can do it on studentaid.gov for free. Um it's all easily done for free. But what these companies do is they prey on you and says, we can consolidate your loans and, you know, offer you a, a $0 a month repay, you know, monthly mm, payment. Yeah. Well, all they're doing is applying you for loan <laughs> consolidation and then applying you for an income driven repayment plan. But the problem is, is sometimes they lie. Sometimes mm. they say that you don't make much money when you make a lot more. Sometimes they say you have 10 kids, which lowers your house, you know, changes your household income levels. Um, when you don't have 10 kids. And and so what they do is they apply those forms and they send them in for you, but they charge you a huge fee. They might charge you $800, $1,000, when all they did was literally put your name on a form and mail it into the wow. Department of Education, which may or may not be accurate. And it, once again, it's just like doing your taxes. You know, if you lie on a federal form, like it's your responsibility. It's not the company that did it, right? So it's really important that, like to know that you don't need to pay for this kind of stuff. Now, I get it. We don't trust our loan servicers. They have done us wrong over the years. And so there's hard to get information there, but you can get the information unbiased at studentaid.gov. And then there's also a lot of legitimate apps and tools out there that are helping you. I created one at loanbuddy.us. Uh, my good friend created one at Chipper. It's an app. And these are tools where you can track your loans, assess your repayment plans. And we do like a freemium model. Like mm -hmm. I know what you can get for free, but if you want the service to have it done for you, it, it gets, it, it fills it in for you and you can do it. 
but I still put it on you. It's I still call it DIY, but we also connect you with real CFPs and CFAs if you want help. Because the other thing is, is these companies that claim to help you, these are more debt resolution, debt collector type companies. They're not real financial planners. And I think you know this is that when you're a CFP or, you know, a licensed financial professional, um, at least CFPs have a fiduciary responsibility to their clients. Um, I think CFAs do as well. And so, you know, these actual certified, legit financial planners are going to steer you in something that's going to be the best interest for you. And they're required to by law versus, you know, fly by night, person that says I'm a, you know, a student loan professional, right? That doesn't really exist. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That is great advice. And before I let you go, I know there's probably somebody screaming at me to have you talk a little bit more about forgiveness (laughs) because that's always, yeah, that's always like top of mind. People are like, no, 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 Shauna, like, tell me about the forgiveness. So if somebody is not in a forgiveness program, how do you figure out if, you know, you can you can be in a forgiveness program. You talked about some potential tax liability. Uh, so, h- how should you take those steps now? Particularly if you're like, okay, I, I'm now my ears are open. I'm interested in this. Good. So, first off, know that as of today, with no presidential election, no change in politics, fifty percent of Americans that have student loans qualify for something. It might not be total loan forgiveness. It might be one of those income-driven repayment loan forgiveness options, but 50% of loan borrowers qualify for something. So that's huge. That means one in two of you listening can get something for your loans if you know what's out there. So the most popular loan forgiveness program is called Public Service Loan Forgiveness, right? PSLF. And this is a 10-year Actually, it's 120 payments, but everyone likes to say it's a 10-year program where if you work in public service, you get your loans forgiven tax-free. And that's why it's such a popular program because 10 years, it's not that long of a time. Tax-free loan forgiveness, that's cool. And the definition of public service jobs are so broad. You could work for the federal government, state government, local government. You can work in public schools. You can work for the military. You can be a police officer. You can work for a nonprofit, 501c3. Like The list is so broad. And it's not about what you do with the employer. It's just about who you work for. Mm. So you could be an accountant at the school district, not a teacher per se, but you still get loan forgiveness because your employer is the school district. And so that's why it's so cool. I mean, there are millions and millions of people that qualify for this, um, but it requires you to do four things. And this is where you see these headlines. And I'm sure you've seen, have you seen these headlines in the, on the news about people being declined yes. for it? <laughs> and that's what, that's what gets people all riled up is, you know, 99% of people are declined for the loan forgiveness. Well, first off, realize it's a 10 year program and we're in 2020. The program passed into law in October of 2007. So most people wouldn't have even known about it until 2008. And even then, only about 100, 200 people qualified that first year because they didn't have the right loan type, they didn't have the right repayment plan. So 
there's not many people that are even eligible. The problem is, is people are fishing. They think they qualify. They think they should be approved. They apply. They get denied. So it's skewing the stats. Mm. So I want everyone to ignore the headlines because the program is working perfectly. And I know that there's over a million people right now that will get loan forgiveness within the next five wow. years. It's just it takes 10 years. It's a 10-year program, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so realize that. So the four things you need to do is, number one, have direct student loans. Pretty much every single loan in America that is issued after 2009, it's a federal loan, is a direct loan. If you have loans from before 2009, you might not have the right loan type. And if you have loans from before 2007, I guarantee you you don't have the correct loan type. And that's what's getting a lot of people in trouble. That's the first hang up is they don't have the right loans. Can you change that? Is that something you can change? you have to consolidate your loans. Okay. So that is one use case where you can consolidate your loans. And when you consolidate your new loan, because it's after 2009, is a direct consolidation loan. Okay. Right? But it's hard because tell that to a teacher that might have been teaching since 2007. Yeah. And then they're like, what do you mean I have to get reconsolidate my loans to be eligible? At this point in time, I'm already paying my loans for 12 years. I might as well just finish paying the last seven. Right or eight, instead of trying to go 10 and get loan forgiveness, right? And that's what's so heartbreaking is because they didn't know to do these things five, seven years ago, and they're finding out now, it's some people is just like, it doesn't make sense to, and it it is heartbreaking because they could have had it. But moving on for those of you that are listening today. So number one is direct loans. Number two is you want to have a qualifying repayment plan. Uh, a qualifying repayment plan is an income-driven repayment plan. Uh, pay as you earn, repay, income-based repayment. Uh, these are the plans that work for loan forgiveness. Uh, some people get on the extended plan, the 25-year plan. You might have heard yeah, that one. right, yeah. Sadly, that one doesn't count. <laughs> of course not. And that not. also gets, of course not. And that's what also gets people in trouble is they don't have the right repayment plan. Okay. And then number three is that you have to certify your employment. So there is a form called the Employment Certification Form, and you have to take it to your HR department or your boss, and they you fill it out. You fill out like three sections with like your name and your address and your social, and then your boss at the bottom signs off the dates that you've been employed there. It's a super easy form to fill out. But the other most common reason people get rejected is because they don't fully fill out this form. They will not put something on there like their employer's tax ID number, right? So we just came out of tax season and you might know on your W-2, you have your employer's tax ID number on there. You have to put that on the form, but you don't put it on the form and you send it into the Department of Education. Well, they're just going to reject your application (sighs) because of course they're looking for every reason they can to deny you. <laughs> but, you know, that that's the thing is fill out the form completely. It's not a hard form to fill out. It's very easy. You just need to do it completely. And then the fourth thing is you just do this for 120 payments. That's all. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it sounds easy, but I will tell you that, you know, most, the reason people are getting rejected is they're missing little steps along the way. But, and this goes back to the accountability piece is, if I was to cut you a check today for like $80,000 or whatever your loan amount is, right. and all I asked you to do was do this form and, and do the, meet these four requirements for 10 years, could you do it? Like, yeah. especially when you know it. So please, please, now that you know the requirements, 
make sure you're doing them 100 percent. yeah it's it's you know it's again it's you're spinning the perspective on this because you're right if someone was to cut you a check for that amount it would be like well i would do those four things for 10 years over and over again so like frame your mindset the right way around this and the benefit could be so substantial and and literally life-changing for a lot of people Absolutely. Like imagine you have $80,000, $100,000 in debt. It's just boom, it's gone. Yeah. Like that is huge. Yeah. That's like really close to like winning the lottery. <laughs> Absolutely. That's better than winning the right? lottery most times, you know, like that's great. We have talked about so many things. I would, I would love to leave listeners with a couple of actionable steps to take today, this month, next couple of months. What are some things you would say to just kind of recap of what someone can do to start making some progress, like paying off their student loans, uh, maybe getting on the right student loan plan? Like, what are some actionable steps? Yeah, so we touched on it, but get organized right now. I will say, based on when we're recording this, is that September is a big month in the student loan world. September of 2020, you know, the as of today when we're recording this, they're not going to extend any student loan benefits. So you need to figure out if you can afford your monthly payment or if you need to change your repayment plan. So you're going to have like a month or two in here to to figure it out to understand where you stand, organize your loans, see what you can afford. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're on unemployment right now. Well, that's okay. Apply for income-driven repayment because they will take your income that you're making right now, which if it's zero, it's zero. Put that on the form and your legal monthly payment would be zero on your loans and you're not gonna worry about falling into default. So get organized make a plan, understand where you stand. And it's very urgent because like I said, September's coming along. And then with your plan and what you have going on, you can decide on how you want to approach it. And then just check in on your plan every year. If your plan includes loan forgiveness, well, check in on your loan forgiveness paperwork and everything once a year. If your plan is going to be to aggressively pay it off with like the debt snowball method, well, same thing. Check in on your plan as you make it once a year. But the goal is get organized and create a plan and then work that plan. With the CARES Act running out super fast, no one knows what will happen to student loans going forward. As Robert explained, though, you do have options, but it means you need to be proactive. So figure out what you can afford, figure out your best payment plan, and remember, you're not always going to be in debt. I promise. <laughs> if you want to learn more, head to thecollegeinvestor.com or check out the show notes for more links to everything Robert. Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes or go to mmoneypodcast.com, where you'll find more episodes to share with your friends. While you're at it, leave us a review. And make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss out on all the money tips and tricks that will take you from a millennial regular to a millennial money expert. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode.